Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 38. Today's Daf picks up with a new Mishnah, one which returns us to the central topic of this chapter of Talmud. Which women, when seduced or abducted, are eligible to receive the fine prescribed by the Torah for their victimizer? The Machloket and the Mishnah and the Gemara's subsequent attempts to figure out the textual and exegetical source of the dispute will help open up a more nuanced way of reading Torah. Let us recall the basic verses first. Exodus 22.15 sets up the case as follows. When a man seduces a virgin, a bitula, who was not engaged, who was not engaged presumably in some kind of inchoate, um, pre-fully marital relationship with a man. Deuteronomy 22.28 uses slightly different language. Ki yimtza ish na'ara vitula asher lo orasa utfasah. When a man finds a na'ara vitula, a virgin young woman, who was not engaged in that same sort of inchoate relationship, and grabs her, takes her, abducts her. One of the basic questions here is the meaning of bitula and the implication of asher lo orasa. Does bitula refer to a physical state or something more or something else? Does asher lo orasa, not having been engaged, simply mean having been involved in a certain kind of contractual relationship? Or perhaps there are other implications behind that term. That's what our Mishnah and Gemara are going to figure out today. So the Mishnah, which is sort of in the middle of 38a, says the following. A young woman who was engaged and then divorced. In other words, she had never been fully married and sexual relations are only permitted during marriage, Nisuin, and not at the stage of engagement, Erusin. So we have someone who is engaged, Nitarasa, and then that relationship ended, Nitgarasha was divorced without there being a marital period. Rebiosi Haglili Omer, Ein La Kanas. If such a woman is subsequently seduced, she does not receive a Kanas. She does not receive the payment. Rebiakiva Omer, Yesh La Kanas, Uknasah La Atzmah. She actually does receive the fine. But the fine goes to her and not to her father. So, like all good legal thinkers, the rabbinic sages use border cases to probe the substance of legal institutions. What if you have a na'ara, a young woman, who is presumptively still a bitula, a virgin? She was only engaged after all, but had been promised in marriage and then was subsequently divorced. That's what our mission is talking about. Rabbi Yossi Hagalili gives precedence to the second condition 
Asherlo Orasa, that she had never been engaged or connected to a man before. And since this woman, even though she didn't have sex with the man, presumably, since she was engaged to him, he rules that she doesn't get the fine if subsequently she's seduced. But Rabbi Akiva does something very interesting. His ruling is that she does receive the fine. That seems to stress the bitula part, that she's actually has never had a sexual relationship. Even if she's had an inchoate marital relationship, there was no sex, so there wasn't really a marriage. But then Rabbi Akiva does something interesting. He doesn't treat her as any old, any regular young woman, where the fine would go to her father. Rather, this young woman is in a liminal state. She was about to marry and leave her father's house. And something about that maturity renders the fine hers and not her father's. So the Gemara picks up by asking, yeah, how in fact did Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Akiva interpret the Torah? So it says, my time is a Rabbi Yossi Haglili. What is the reason? And you should always know that ta'ama, reason, doesn't mean sort of the rational underpinnings, which are certainly present, but means the scriptural source. What's the scriptural source of Rabbi Yossi Haglili's opinion? Amar Kra, scripture says in Dvarim Chafbet, Asher lo orasa, she was not engaged. Ha, orasa en la knas. So therefore, the natural way to read this logically is to say, had she been orasa, had she been engaged, she doesn't get a fine. She doesn't get the knas. That seems totally reasonable. So the Gemara asks for Rabbi Akiva, what about Rabbi Akiva's position? He interprets it differently. Asher lo orasa, not having been engaged, le'aviha. That case is when the money goes to her father. Ha orasa, but were she to have been engaged, but not to have engaged in a sexual relationship as part of that engagement, not that she doesn't receive the fine, but le'atzma, the fine goes to her. The Gemara, however, is uncomfortable with Rabbi Akiva's boldness here. If, in fact, engagement is only a criteria in where the money goes, then what's the limit? Elameata, Na'ara velo bogeret, hachinami delatzma. Bitula velo beula, hachinami delatzma. Ela legamre, hachinami legamre. So first of all, it starts with this technical term elameata, which is one of my favorites. It literally means but from here, but its function is to challenge something by pointing out a reductio ad absurdum that would result. In other words, if we take Rabbi Kiva's exegesis seriously, then we can go places that we would not want to go legally. Here, the Gemara is saying that any attempt to narrow the scope of which women receive this fine could simply be met by saying that the term didn't intend to exclude the woman from receiving the fine, but merely that the fine becomes hers. That was a long sentence, so let me clarify. When the Torah says a young woman receives a fine, maybe... That just means that the fine goes to her father. But a bogeret, an older woman, who we know from other places in the Mishnah that even Rebbe Akiva agrees is exempt from receiving the fine. In other words, once she's an adult, she makes adult decisions, and she doesn't get financial protection if she makes a poor sexual decision as an adult. But if we take Rebbe Akiva's exegesis seriously, then maybe rather than this bogeret, this grown-up woman being exempt, 
maybe she should get the fine and she gets to keep it as opposed to when she was younger it would have gone to her father the other clause says maybe virgin doesn't actually mean that non-virgins don't get the fine at all but that virgins the fine goes to their fathers and non-virgins they get to keep the fine now these aren't just textual games if the fine is meant to protect young sexually inexperienced women from exploitation by men then indeed to include such categories would be totally absurd the bogaret's an adult since even Rabbi Akiva agrees that such women are excluded legamre entirely, there's no fine either to them or to their fathers, so too in this case, he cannot be employing this form of derivation. Now, we should pause and understand what's really going on with this kasha, what's really going on with this difficulty. Hermeneutically, the Talmud posited a way of reading the verses that would actually result in Rabbi Akiva's conclusion in the Mishnah. But... It's sensitive to all the possible outcome, outcomes of extending that exegetical methodology. Since it was disturbed by where Rabbi Akiva's hermeneutics could take it, it felt forced to reject them. Here, at least, the Gemara demands exegetical consistency and attentiveness to the consequences of its modes of exegesis. Now the Gemara is stuck. So the only way it's going to be able to solve it is by recourse to a Brita which reports that Rabbi Akiva rules that the fine actually does go to the father. And in this Beraita, Rabbi Akiva is going to use the phrase Asher Lo Orasa, who was not engaged, for a totally different legal purpose. He's going to say that Asher Lo Orasa connects the cases in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. So this is a bit of a long Beraita, um, and I won't read through the whole thing, just the most relevant part. Amar lach Rabbi Akiva, that Rabbi Akiva would reply to the to the difficulty that was raised earlier. Hi lo orasa mi baile that in fact the phrase lo orasa is needed for something totally different. Then it says, Asher lo orasa, that she was not engaged. Pratlana arashnitar savnit garsha, she'en la knas tiver Rabbi Yosiaglili, Rabbi Akiva mer, yesh la knas uknasa le'aviha. That the phrase Asher Lo Orasa excludes the Na'ara, the young woman who was engaged and subsequently divorced without a marital period in between. She doesn't get the Kanas. That's consistent with Rabbi Yossi Aglili's opinion in the Mishnah here. But Rabbi Akiva says she does get the Kanas, but it goes to her father. The Brita continues, V'hadin notain. Logic would actually dictate this. Since the father when she's a young woman, he would actually receive the money that's given as a gift to establish the marriage. Her father also has the right to the money from the fine. Right? And if the young woman had actually gotten engaged and then divorced, the kesef kidushin, the money that established the marriage, would still nevertheless go to the father if for a subsequent marriage if she was still young. Even the kesef kenasa, the money of the fine, even in the case where she was engaged and then divorced, that would still go to her father. In other words, the father would still receive the kesef kidushin, and therefore the, the father would still receive the fine. Now, this is a problem for the Gemara because what's the point of asher lo orasa? 
Imkain, Matamud Lamar, Sher Orasa. What's the Torah teaching me? And the response is one of these complicated hermeneutical devices. It says, Mufneh. It leaves it open, open to interpretation. It leaves it open so that you can then compare it to another verse, lehakishlo, and to create a gezer shava, this comparison of the same word in two different verses to apply one law from one context to another law to another in another context. Namar kan asher lo It says in Deuteronomy asher lo Venamar lahalan, and it says somewhere else, and we know that that's in Exodus, asher lo Makan nun, just as here the fine is 50, aflahalan nun, so too in the case of seduction it's 50. And then they flip it, umalahalan shekalim, that 50 is in shekalim, measured in, in shekalim, afkan shekalim, and here too that's the, the currency in which the fine is. Now we're going to skip a little bit. The Gemara on the next Amud, Amud Bet 38b, is going to recognize, hey, wait a second, this Breita says that the fine goes to her father, whereas in the Mishnah, the fine went to her, according to Rebbe Akiva. So it says, Kashi the Rebbe Akiva, the Rebbe Akiva. There's an internal contradiction between the two positions of Rebbe Akiva. The response is, Trey Tanai Aliva the Rebbe Akiva. Actually, there are, yes, two different Tanaitic positions exist, Trey Tanai, two Tanaim, and they both claim that their position was held by Rebbe Akiva. In other words, there was a flaw in the train, chain of transmission at some point, and one side, the side that made it into the Mishnah, thinks Rebbe Akiva thinks the fine goes to the to her, whereas the side that goes in the Brita, which didn't make it into the Mishnah but made it into our Gemara, thinks that Rebbe Akiva thinks that the fine does not go to the woman but goes to her father. So now the Gemara raises one last difficulty that I want to deal with. Bishlama Rabbi Akiva Bzimatnitin Lo Ati Gazer Shava Umafkale Lakrami Pashte Lagamre. This is a fascinating line. It says the position of Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah actually makes perfect hermeneutic sense because Lo Ati Gazer Shava, a Gazer Shava, this comparison of the same word in two different verses, should not come and remove the verse from its simple meaning completely. In other words, what did Rabbi Akiva do in the Baraita? In the Baraita, Rabbi Akiva said, Hasher Orasa doesn't teach us anything at all. It's just to connect the two cases. Well, then why was it written? You could say, well, it was written in order to connect the two cases, but then it has no function in pshat, in the simple read of the verse. And that's what the Gemara challenges next. Elala Rabbi Akiva de Baraita, according to Rabbi Akiva in the Baraita, Ati Shavu, Mafkami Pashtelagamre? According to the Brita, in fact, a Gezer Shava can come and totally nullify the simple meaning of the verse. In other words, Rabbi Akiva's position in the Mishnah, that the young, formerly engaged, and now divorced woman keeps the fine if she is victimized, hews closer to the simple meaning of the verses. Unfortunately, it creates an insurmountable exegetical problem. His position as recorded in the Brita requires ignoring the plain sense of the phrase Asher Lo Orasa entirely although it solves the local hermeneutic problem, but it creates a much more fundamental ideological problem in terms of reading verses. Yet, here's the interesting thing. Both positions, the one in the Mishnah that works with Pshat of the, of the Torah, and the one in the Brita that totally nullifies Pshat in the, Brita, in the Torah, they both stand. Each one has a benefit, each one has a blemish.
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.